Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hi everyone and welcome to On The House, the Household Management Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Gabriella Yastra, coming to you from NAM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's begin. Hi everyone and welcome to our very special New Year's episode on On The House. Today we're talking to Casey Wise, who is a clinical nutritionist about sustainable cooking tips for the new year. Hi, thank you for joining me. Hey, thank you so much for having me guys. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to, you know, learn some new cooking tips um, that we can apply for next year. Um, yeah, or this absolutely. year. Um, so, but first of all, I'd like to get to know you a bit better. So do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, of course. So my name is Casey White. I am a clinical nutritionist based in Brisbane, Queensland. Um, I studied at Endeavour College of Natural Health. Um, so I have a bachelor's degree in nutrition and dietetics. Um, and I practice clinically specializing mainly in the areas of gut health and autoimmune disease. And I'm particularly interested in the correlation between those two. So really fascinating area. Mm. And I think that's kind of important for us to talk about today because, um, you know, New Year's, I feel like, you know, people have some resolutions that they want to, you know, get some health things sorted, but also it's a time that we eat with family and lots of family have different dietary needs. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as you said, people do go into the new year with those fresh goals and a fresh perspective about how they want to eat and how they want to exercise moving into the new year. Um, And part of my clinical practice is really emphasizing how we can eat sustainably and uh, make it as nutritionally dense as possible while still doing the best uh, we can for ourselves, for our families, for the planet. So yeah. Mm. Not just cooking for ourselves, but also cooking for the planet. That's right. As much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Uh, but we, before we do get more into this topic, uh, we like to do a section called Have You Met Casey, where we get to know you through some of your favorite things. Uh, so first thing I'd like to know is what is your favorite book? Such a tough question. <laughs> um, I like many different kind of styles, fiction, nonfiction, but if I had to choose one book, that I would recommend to everyone, just as a general read, it's probably The Alchemist. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. It's bought by um, Paolo Coelho. Apologies if I um, pronounce that incorrectly, but it's just such a beautiful, timeless story about love and spirituality and destiny and following your dreams and I read it probably once a year and every time I do, I just feel really inspired and uplifted and it really helps me to connect with, okay, who am I? What am I? What is my purpose? How do I want to best serve people in the world? So yeah, I really, really love that book and I would recommend it to everyone. I also love uh, some health 
kind of related ones that I'm reading lately. One is called The Myth of Normal by Dr. Gabor Mate. It's a really, really fascinating perspective on uh, chronic illness and um, mental health um, and the kind of epidemic that we have with those issues in the Western world. And it really, you know, argues for a more holistic um, approach to healthcare. So I'm really enjoying diving into that and all the science in that book at the moment. Interesting. I know my partner has enjoyed their books before as well. So maybe I'll have to have to have a look at that. But Absolutely. More of their books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. Thank you for those recommendations. You're welcome. And have you uh, watched any documentaries recently that you enjoyed? I have one that I watched recently uh, on Netflix. Yeah, it's actually like a docu-series, but it's called uh, Live to 100, The Secrets of the Blue Zones. So I'm not sure if you've heard of the Blue Zones, but these are specific um, geographical areas that they've identified in the world um, as having the highest um, proportion of centenarians and uh, people that are living healthily into old age. Mm-hmm. So they're, I think they've identified five or six blue zones. For example, one of them is Okinawa um, in Japan. The other one is Sardinia in Italy. Um, and basically it's a, it's a five-part series where um, the interviewer goes there and is hoping to find out the secrets of longevity. And he talks to a lot of people who are well into their their 100s, you know, they're like 105, still kicking, uh, you know, even like people into their 80s and 90s as well. And he's asking them a lot about health. He's like asking them a lot about nutrition, exercise, um, but also about what else they think is contributing to um, their health and longevity. And uh, I think the most important message that comes out of that documentary is, you know, yes, health, nutrition, exercise is so important, but so is a sense of purpose. So is a sense of community. So is a sense of kind of faith um, and hope. Um, And yeah, it was just really, really fascinating series. on Netflix. So if you guys have time to watch it, I absolutely recommend it. Great. Thank you. I do have like maybe an odd question. Is it called yeah. Blue Zones because they're like by the sea? That's what I originally thought. That's what I originally thought. However, um, the Blue Zones, the name was given to the Blue Zones um, by this scientist um, or the investigator who first started looking into these particular areas. And when he was doing his research, he was blotting on the paper with like a blue highlighter. Yeah. Okay. So when he was doing the studies of, okay, this this little group here seem, seems to be living into their hundreds. He was, I it explains this in the documentary, by the way. Okay. Um, he was blotting it on on the paper with like a blue highlighter. Okay. And hence they gave uh, the nickname the Blue Zones. There's also a couple of um, TED Talks as well on this particular topic on the Blue Zones. And it's just amazing seeing the way that those people live and how sustainably they live. Often these um, communities are kind of living off the land. They're farming themselves. Um, They're eating that kind of farm to table approach. 
Um, and they're moving around, they're interacting with other people. They have a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose that kind of keeps them going well into old age. So really fascinating. Great. Thank you so much. And are you listening to any podcasts at the moment? I am. Again, the type of podcast that I listen to does vary on the day. Sometimes I'm looking for something like a bit more spiritual, motivational, um, other times more, I guess, science heavy. But some of my favorite health um, and science related ones are probably Huberman Lab by Andrew Huberman, um, the FX Medicine podcast, which has a bunch of different speakers um, and guests that contribute to that. Uh, there's a really great one on Spotify called Maintenance Phase, mm-hmm. which again is kind of very health related. They do a lot of debunking of current health myths um, and like bad science, which I absolutely love. And in relation to, I guess, sustainability and low tox living, um, there's a really great podcast called Low Tox Life as well. And Alex, who runs that, has a lot of different guests on and she gives a lot of tips, really like easy to integrate tips on how to create more sustainability um, and more environmentally friendly practices in your own home. So there would probably be some of my go-tos, yeah. Great, thank you. Um, I do love maintenance space. Um... Yes, it's a relatively new one. I think they only started um, throughout COVID like 2020. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, really good. But I know that he also does, um, I forgot his name, but he also does, used to do another Michael podcast. Hub. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that one as well. So, he do, yeah, he does one called If Books Could Kill. Yeah. Is yeah. that the one you're thinking of? Yeah. No, with the, the other guy one, named... uh, what's the other one called? It's um, You're Wrong About This. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And just the way they're so funny mm-hmm. and the way that they deliver it and, really kind of dig into the science and the methodology and it's amazing some of the things they've spoken about on there we've been talking about for years and we just take that as fact and and roll with it and in reality sometimes there's not even any evidence to support it whatsoever so I absolutely love that one yeah I mostly just like laughing at the like really bad diet books yeah yeah they pull a lot of really great diet books for like the 80s and yeah just some some of the absolute wild uh recipes the like level of calorie restriction so Mm. intense so intense so we really have come quite a way in terms of how we think about health thankfully and I love it when they do a deep dive into those it's just hilarious yeah thank you for those recommendations um and do you have a role model Again, I have a few different role models, like some in business, some in my own personal life, but one that really sticks out is probably my grandfather. Um, So he is well into his 80s now, and he's been through a lot of change, a lot of adversity in his life. And I'm currently working with him on some health issues that he's having, and I just... I so admire the way that at his age, he's still so open. He's still so willing to learn. Um, 
you know, nothing's too much of a challenge. He's like, yeah, I'll in- I'll, I'm really interested in that. I'll, I'll implement that. I'll give that a go. Um, and he doesn't let his age limit him or define him. He's, you know, he's 80, but he's, in his words, feeling the best he's ever felt. And he really loves to squeeze the absolute most out of life. And yeah, I just hope, I hope I can continue to do that um, well into my old age as well. So he's a big role model for me, for sure. Yeah. And I think it also shows, I think, you know, there's this idea that once you get to a certain age, you know, you're set in your ways, you're not going to change. And it does show that Absolutely. you don't have to be like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And have you done any courses that have inspired you? Well, aside from my big nutrition degree, which took about four years, that was very inspiring, very transformative for for my own health in particular and for my family's health. I really learned a lot that I could integrate um, into my own life and into my family's life. But um, I was actually looking on uh, your website and at the courses that you guys have in development at the moment, and I saw that you are developing um, some around like gratitude and emotional intelligence and uh, particularly gratitude is something that I've implemented into my own daily routine over the last few years and that completely inspired me and changed my life and my outlook and perspective and um, so I really think when that course is available um, that's going to be really inspiring to a lot of people because just changing your mindset and perception and finding the good um, in your day, despite the negatives, despite the challenges, um, I, I personally believe it's one of the most important things you can do for your health. Yeah, I have heard that gratitude is really important for mental health. So I'm really looking forward to uh, our courses to be produced. I've had a sneak peek at some of them, but um, you know, it's a bit different when you're a student uh getting to learn from them so yeah um watch this space yeah watch this space for sure thank you um so with our topic today i like to start off with some definitions so that you know we're all starting from the same point we know what we're talking about so the first thing that i'd like to know is how do you define household management yes i think it could be defined in a few different ways uh i guess the way i see it is uh developing routines and strategies um, around the daily tasks of the household. So this could include things like cooking, cleaning, um, home maintenance, um, financial planning, etc. Um, and making sure that again you have those routines, you have those strategies, whether you're single and living alone or whether you are part of a larger household and you have a family, um, creating those so that your household can run more smoothly and efficiently. And I think what this does is it reduces stress. It allows you to spend more time doing what you value and enjoy and love in life, whether that's you know, spending time with your family or you name it. Um, having kind of times and procedures set to do things uh yeah, it just reduces that unnecessary stress. It reduces unnecessary waste. It can reduce unnecessary spending. So I guess that's how I would define it, making sure those procedures are in place. Yeah. Yeah, and that sounds 
similar to, I think, what our topic is going to be today, which is sustainable cooking. Um, mm, so do you mind yeah. explaining what that is? Yes, of course. So the most simple definition, I think, would just be cooking with the earth and the environment in mind. Um, so that would involve, you know, from start to finish. So from um, purchasing ingredients um, to cooking techniques. Um, so we're looking at ingredients, techniques, practices that are aiming to minimize environmental impact, uh, reduce waste, and also where possible, you know, support local communities. Um, think that would be the most well-rounded broad definition of sustainable cooking. So there's certainly a lot of uh, different, I guess, different aspects to sustainable cooking. It's not just, I don't know, maybe, you know, making sure everything's plant-based or making sure everything's organic, but certainly, um, yeah, a lot of things to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, our, today, our, our topic today is, you know, for the new year. So how can we start integrating this into maybe New Year's resolutions? Mm, yes. Yeah. Great question. I think, yeah, so if we're starting at the beginning, we're looking yeah. at um, food shopping, we're looking at um, groceries. So uh, the most basic place to start, I think, is um, helping people become more informed around where their food is coming from. Um, so when you are purchasing ingredients, wherever that may be, whether it's um, the supermarket, whether it's a health food store, whether it's the local markets, whether it's a farmer, um, however you uh, buy and, and purchase those ingredients, um, trying your best to understand, you know, what's the country of origin um, that that ingredient is coming from? Um, how is it processed? Um, how is it getting to be on the shelf or on display? I think that's kind of step one. Um, Obviously, if you are shopping at a farmer or maybe a local market, it might be easier to find out that information. So I do encourage people if those sorts of options are available to them. Um, and if, if you do live in, in a metro area, there's normally um, a, a local produce market that is close to you that you, you could look up. Um, and just, yeah, go and meet, go and meet the producer, go and meet the farmer um and ask you know how does it how does it get here today what's your process um you know is it organic is it um pesticide free how is it grown what do you feed your animals you know these sorts of questions um are really important to ask if you know a local market or um talking to a local farmer is not available and you shop at a at a conventional supermarket that's also okay um but have a look if you can find out the supplier um, and don't be afraid to shoot them off an email or, or contact them and just ask a few more questions around um, where those ingredients are coming from um, and how they're being produced. And you'll always see on the back um, whether something is Australian grown and made um, or whether it is imported. Um, and if you are making decision to consume something that is imported, you know, understanding um, the environmental costs that that may have. You know, if we're importing particularly fresh produce from overseas, well, we're taking into account all of those transportation costs, taking into account all of the energy um, and resources that it takes to get those ingredients um, to Australia on our on our produce shelves. So 
I think it's um, not just taking things for granted, like here it is in my trolley and happy days, not asking questions. Um, really educating yourself around that is probably step one. Um, and then step two is, you know, how are you going to prepare it at home? Um, how am I going to prepare this piece of meat, for example, um, and make sure I'm not cutting things off and throwing it away? How can I use the whole product? Um, how can I use the broccoli stem instead of chopping off the florets and then throwing the whole stem away? Um, you know, not only are we losing nutrients, um, but we're increasing our food waste. So it's kind of taking these small steps. Um, and, you know, New Year is a great time to start, but also today, you know, in the lead up to the holidays, um, we traditionally around this time are eating a lot more, we're consuming a lot more. Um, and it's a very challenging time of year to keep our sustainable practices going. So if you can get through the holiday period um, with sustainability in mind, you're going to really be set up um, in a healthy way to keep that going into the new year. Um, and particularly this holiday period, um, you know, when you look at the stats on the amount of waste and how much household waste increases over the holiday period, you'd be shocked. And so really, really important right now, coming into Christmas, coming into New Year to start implementing some of this. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, the Christmas, New Year time, even, you know, a little bit later on in the year, um, we have, you know, Lunar New Year, um, things like that. How how can we, you know, we have big festivals, you know, lots of presents, lots of food. How can we start to, you know, I think it's one thing to say I'm going to be more um, sustainable during my everyday life. You know, I'll go to the supermarket and I'll, you know, look at the, where the food's from. But Christmas time, New Year's, where just I need this, I need that. I want the best produce. I want, you know, this exotic thing for my um, for my dinner. Um, you know, how do you, I guess, weigh those things and how do you make sure that you are prioritizing sustainability? Mm-hmm. Great questions. And so right what you touched on there, like we are, we're looking beyond food in this scenario as well. You know, the food is one portion, but we're also looking at gift giving. We're looking at decorations. We're looking at all of this, um, which is contributing to waste. Like wrapping paper for one is just, it gets put on a present, it gets ripped straight off and then it gets put in the bin. Like it's, that's just not sustainable by any definition. Um, of the word, but I guess if we're bringing it back to more of, um, yeah, a food context, um, this stat is not specific to food, but overall, um, household waste in Australia increases by about 30% over the household period. And that is from things like decorations, from wrapping paper, from, um, gifts, um, unwanted gifts being thrown away from food waste, bottle waste, um, all of this. Um, so yeah, having that stat in mind, I think it's like, wow, 30% over just this, you know, one month period, that's huge. I think a huge element of it, um, as you were touching on, is I want this and I want that. A lot of it does come down to that mindset of understanding that 
it's a very stressful time of year. It's a very emotional time of year. It can be a very anxiety inducing time of year. Um, and, you know, societal pressures and um, marketing is kind of designed to encourage this kind of frenzy and stress uh, to get us to buy more and to, you know, overconsume and overindulge. Um, and it also kind of fosters a bit of this scarcity mindset of um, if I don't stock up now, if I'm not the first to the shops, if I'm not buying at all, then there's going to be none left and I'm going to miss out, I'm going to miss out, I'm going to miss out. So I think foundationally, yeah, it's really um, acknowledging, okay, there is a lot of external pressure here. Can I remain calm? Can I remain grounded um, and stick to my plan and only buy what I need um, and not buy into the pressure of I need more, 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 more? Um, so I guess, yeah, bringing that back to more of a food context, I think one of the most important things if you are hosting a gathering, um, if you're the one that's hosting family Christmas or, um, you know, Luna um, New Year or whatever you are hosting, um, as early as possible, get an, a, an accurate number of how many people are going to be attending um, and cater sensibly to that. I think more often than not, we over cater because um, again, it's that scarcity mindset of there's not going to be enough. We're going to run out of food. People are going to go hungry, blah, blah, blah. But again, coming back to our sensible grounded headspace of, no, I've got this many people this is going to be enough. I'm serving this as mains. I'm serving this as sides. I'm serving this as dessert. It's going to be plenty. Um, and also if you're doing an arrangement, I know this is the case for my own family Christmas where everyone brings a plate, you know, planning ahead, creating that group chat so that you know what everybody is bringing um, and making sure that there's not double ups because there's nothing worse than four people bringing a side of potatoes and then the potatoes go to waste or you know three people bring a pavlova and then it is too much so if you are having a situation where everyone brings a plate try and plan in advance so that everyone is bringing something different so things aren't overlapping um and all of the food is getting eaten and i suppose the next step to that is if there are leftovers what do we do with them? Is that what you'd like me to, to chat about? Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. Okay, cool. So again, speaking mainly from my own personal experience, what, what do we do with leftovers? First point of call, I always send my guests home with food uh, if there's too much. Uh, there's nothing worse than you having your fridge like absolutely chock-a-block with stuff and you're like oh my gosh I'm never gonna get get through all of this so I try and send people home with with a little doggy bag which honestly people love so by all means send people away with food then you've still got leftovers some common things we see leftover might be um yeah for example a lot of people make pavlova so things like your egg yolks are leftover a lot of the time so always on boxing day in the days after christmas me and my family are making omelets frittatas 
um, toasted sandwiches, like a lot of different things to use up the leftovers. But yeah, particularly with egg yolks, things like your um, omelette, frittatas, anything that you can use up those eggs. And often you can throw other things in. So maybe you've got um, some leftover chicken from a roast chicken. So omelette for breakfast, throwing in your chicken, throwing in leftover greens, using up the eggs, egg yolks, happy days. Great, Unless thank you. Bread, another one. Um, really great recipe is bread and butter pudding, um, which can help you use up bread, cream, custard, milk, those sorts of things. Um, so slicing the bread up, putting in some dried fruit and you essentially like bake it in the oven so it's a little pudding and serve it with custard. That's another really great idea. Um, and probably something I'd like to in- experiment with this year is making a bone broth with like a leftover chicken carcass, for example. A lot of my colleagues do do this and I'm really fascinated um, by it and so like nutrient dense. So that's something that I'm personally going to look at implementing. But essentially, you yeah, you take the whole carcass from a roast chicken can even use up the lemons and that sort of thing that you may have used to um, roast it. Um, And you're essentially cooking down the bones with water, maybe a little bit of apple cider, salt and pepper, and you're letting that slow cook for like 10 to 12 hours. And then all of a sudden you've got a really beautiful nutrient-dense broth um, that's minimizing waste and you're getting all the beautiful nutrients um, from the bones. Um, and it's really, really great. You're getting the collagen. It's really great for the gut, um, nourishing the gut lining. Uh, it's got a whole host of benefits. So that's something that I'm yet to try myself, but I'm determined to to give it a go this year. I have a question about that. Yeah. So I made chicken soup the other day because I, for the first, yeah. and it was the first time I've ever made it because mm-hmm. I made a roast chicken. I don't do that very often. And I was like, I'm going to. Mm-hmm be sustainable I'm going to use the whole chicken this time yeah yeah Um, and I made a chicken soup and I only boiled it for about two hours and Mm -hmm. so is the difference between like a chicken stock or a chicken broth and a chicken Mm -hmm. soup what you put in it is it how long you cook it or did I Mm -hmm. essentially make a chicken broth so did you you just used the carcass not the or did you use um the breast and the meat of the the chicken as well. I I used the, just the chicken carcass and I didn't yep. shred it that much, but there wasn't much meat left on it. But I also okay, used so, a whole bunch of veggies. But it was mainly the carcass. Yeah. yeah. So traditionally, a, a bone broth um, doesn't have veggies and things added. It might have like a little bit of onion, a little bit of garlic to kind of flavor it, um, but. Certainly, I think the big difference is in the cooking time. Mm-hmm. So letting it kind of slow boil for a period of like 10 to 12 hours is helping it to reduce down a little bit. You're actually like leaching a lot of the nutrients out of the bone. Um, and I mean, I suppose like texturally, it's probably quite similar. It's like a, it, it's like a clear liquid uh, that you drink mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or, you know, slurp on. Um, but I think, yes, yeah, really just the difference in that cooking time. And again, broth um, traditionally is just the bones 
um, a little bit of something to flavor it, um, but not any meat, not any extra added veg. Um, yeah, it's pretty. I, I think people actually cook it often longer than like 10 to 12 hours as well. Sometimes they let it go for 24 hours um, and then are straining it out. So you're essentially straining out the carcass and then just using the liquid that you're you're getting out of that. So again, I'm not an expert on this topic. Uh, I'm very interested in trying myself this year, but I've seen so many of my colleagues do it. And yeah, it just seems like such a beautiful way to use that up. So good on you for giving that a try. Thank you. I'm going to have to give it a go and see if I can do it for 12 hours or something now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Very low heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you, and you just let it cook down is my understanding. Okay. So, yeah. I might wait till winter though. Yeah, I, absolutely. Again, very different in Australian summer, right? It's like, it's a great idea, but the thought of cooking down a hot broth. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of my colleagues as well do do cook it down and use it more as more of a stock. Mm-hmm. And so rather than maybe consuming it all once it's ready, they freeze it in like little ice cube trays. Um, again, that, that's another really sustainable way of making sure you use it all up. But um freezing it in little ice cube trays and then next time you're making a recipe that calls for a stock or a broth um you can just throw that in and in general i love the freezer please utilize your freezer to its full capacity um because pretty much anything if it's coming up to date it can be frozen if you cook something you've made too much freeze it you can you can defrost it again i think People often really underutilize their freezer. Um, and I know for myself, like I do not have a spare inch in there. <laughs> it's just got everything that it can fit. So absolutely use up your freezer space and your fringe space as well um, over this holiday period. Do you have any tips on like, so I always have trouble. I put things in the freezer and then I forget about them. <laughs> well, I think that's a common problem uh, with people with the fridge as well. And actually you've just reminded me of kind of another number one tip for people is throughout the holiday period, constantly monitor and rearrange your fridge and freezer. I think a big part of the problem is that people put things in there and then let it get pushed to the back, whether that's like a raw ingredient or whether that's something that's been prepared and they've pushed it to the back. Um, and they forget it's there. So something that me and my family really implement is uh, in the lead up to Christmas day and then after Christmas, constantly going through and rotating our fridge. So pulling things to the front, knowing what's there, knowing what needs to be eaten, knowing what needs to be used up, particularly when it comes to raw ingredients. There's nothing worse than like finding an old cucumber rotting and going moldy in the back, just using the compartments of your fridge really clearly, labeling if you need to. Um, I know that Oz Harvest, who are one of the big um, food collectors um, and charities in Australia that collect um, produce um, from the supermarkets and that sort of thing, they actually give away fridge tape and it's like yellow and black, like almost like hazard tape Mm-hmm. that uh, you can grab and you can, you know, mark out little things, little compartments in your fridge, like 
this needs to be eaten today. Um, and they really encourage you to do that over the holiday period to just make sure that if you can visibly see what needs to be used up, you're more inclined to do it um, rather than pulling something out of the fridge a week later and, and it's bad and you've got to toss it. So having that visibility is really important. And I've also been in the situation where, you know, you unearth this um, very, very frozen ham from, was it Christmas this year or was it Christmas last year? Totally, totally. I think I think we've all been there, absolutely. And particularly with the freezer, you know, you might have things in there for, for a year. So, I mean, ham's actually a really easy one to use up. Uh, things like pea and ham soup. Again, I mentioned toasties. That's a really great one. I think me and my family come New Year's are so sick of eating toasted sandwiches and jaffles because every day it's like ham, cheese, toasty for lunch. Okay. Yeah. We got to use more ham, more ham, more ham. Uh, so again, uh, omelet, um, you can make, you know, with old potatoes and ham, things like called bubble and squeak which is basically just like a big hash of like chopped up ham potatoes veggies um yeah however you want to use it up there's there's many ways but yeah try and use it up as much as you can then if you can't pop it in the freezer resurrect it maybe in winter when it's time for pea and ham soup again yep (laughs) that's great yes when you're finally ready to like turn the oven on yes then you can make the pea and ham soup. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, you're also a nutritionist. So I'd like to know, like, do you have any like um, nutritional tips for, you know, like holiday (laughs) meals or, you know, maybe um, habits that we can get into for the new year? Yeah, of course. I mean, this is my favorite topic to talk about, but yeah, I guess as a nutritionist, firstly, I encourage people to, try and go into the holiday season with a really healthy mindset around food. Again, as I mentioned before, it can be a really uh, overwhelming, emotional, like panicky time for a lot of people. Um, And particularly a lot of people might be concerned about overeating, overindulging, um, and might be going into things with a very restrictive mindset around food, which can be very tricky to break for a lot of people and it's quite a sensitive thing. Um, but where possible, I try and encourage people to enjoy themselves. Um, you know, our holidays come around once a year and um, it's it's a really sad thing to feel isolated from your family um, or, or from your friends because you're not able to partake in, in the foods that they're enjoying. So that's a really key thing I want to emphasize is that please enjoy yourself, please eat freely. Um, and you know, don't buy into all the, the crazy, like detox, you need to detox and you need to do this. You need to do that. No, it's a holiday. Enjoy yourself. Mm -hmm. That being said, uh, my biggest nutritional tips are to make sure that your meals are macro balanced. So macronutrient balanced, meaning we want to have a healthy serve where possible of protein, carbs, and fats. Um, so normally getting, you know, the protein 
and the carbs at Christmas time is pretty easy for a lot of people. There's normally beautiful um, meat or like a vegetarian protein source on offer. Um, and, you know, normally lots of potatoes, lots of other beautiful carbohydrate sources, um, salads and things. Um, but healthy fats can be something that uh, people overlook. So there's lots of beautiful um, healthy fat sources. But, you know, if you're having a salad, make sure you have it with a beautiful big drizzle of like extra virgin olive oil to make sure your healthy fats are in there. Um, what about beautiful nuts and seeds and things like that? If you're making a salad, please throw all of those in um, to make sure that it's as nutritionally balanced as possible. Um so that would be my tip. Just when you're looking at your plate, make sure that it's A, as macronutrient balanced as possible and try and make it as colorful as possible as well. Um, if you're looking down at your plate and it's looking all brown and white and beige, that's normally an indication um, that it's not you know, overflowing with nutrients. So when food is colorful, it means that it's rich in all of the beautiful phytonutrients and antioxidants that our body needs. Um, so you really want to eat the rainbow. You want to be looking down and being like, look at this beautiful, colorful salad I've got here with some beautiful ham or chicken or turkey. Um, and then I've got my healthy fat sources as well. So eat the rainbow, eat the rainbow, eat the rainbow is what I always encourage, um, as a nutritionist at this time. And I think that's something really easy for people to remember as well, just as much color as you can. And I mean, possibly this is, is something that you're going to disagree with, not disagree, mm -hmm. but, you know, I feel like, you know, often we'll go through Christmas and we'll say, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And, you know, you'll eat the beige plates and the chocolate cake mm -hmm. and the bit too much of everything. And then afterwards, you know, you hit new year and you're like, oh, I ate so badly. I need to make up for it. Um, <laughs> like, do you have any tips for like, you know, starting the new year, um, you know, or should we just say it's okay and, you know, um, I'll be okay? I'm always a huge advocate for it's it's going to be okay because we're, we're talking about sustainable tips, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so the pattern that we see every new year is that people go from this extreme of overindulgence to the other extreme of like extreme restriction as soon as the new year hits, right? And what inevitably happens is we end up on this yo-yo, um, yo-yo wheel um, of binge restriction, binge restriction, binge restriction, which, you know, as a nutritionist is advocating for sustainability and more holistic health, um, I'm trying to get people out of that cycle um, which is why firstly, giving yourself grace and saying, I did that, but you know what? Okay. I've got these few tips that I'm implementing and I'm going to really slowly and steadily get back on track. Um, or alternatively, just incorporating those little things throughout the holiday period, um, so that you aren't feeling so so bad about what you've eaten just make sure you're getting out and at least going for a walk every day getting out in nature um is, is so important just whatever you can do throughout the holiday period so it's not this like 
and absolutely writing myself off and waiting for the 1st of January to, to change my whole life. Um, you know, try and stay centered, try and stay, um, you know, grounded and secure within yourself. Um, to, if you do have healthy habits already set up, try and keep those going as much as you possibly can until, until the new year. And if not, it's okay. We, we slowly build again, but I, I try and get people out of this, like these extreme, um, fluctuations because what we want is, is sustainable change ultimately. And that mm. sounds like a bit of like a woo woo answer. Um, cause people are just like, I want to know what to do. Tell me the diet. Uh, but often though, that sort of thinking can do more harm than good. Mm. So yeah, that's yeah. my opinion on the matter. Thank you. Cause I, I think that I grew up with sort of that kind of, uh, mindset from my parents, you know, Christmas and is so all about gravy and, yeah. and then new year's time to diet. Well, and yeah, not only from maybe our intimate family setting, um, I know it's something, you know, particularly as women, maybe more so, um, we hear, uh, but on a, on a broader societal level, marketing loves new year because as soon as you hit new year all of the businesses you know particularly you know in health people are have you overindulged this christmas try xyz product or try xyz diet plan or try xyz you know exercise routine um you know there's a lot of external noise that is supporting that sort of um, mentality and mindset so it's not about blaming people for for being in that sort of a mindset it's often what we've grown up hearing and understanding um but yeah i think once you become conscious of that messaging um that can sometimes be one of the the, the biggest steps is like, oh, okay, I see that I'm being targeted here um, to, to want to do this. But you know what? I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. I'm pretty happy. I'm, I'm centered within myself um, and slow and steady. Mm-hmm. People don't want to hear slow and steady, but it is, it's about slow and steady. It really is. If we're talking about long-term health. Thank you. Yeah. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to discuss before we move on to the next section? Oh, uh, I don't think so. Yeah. I think we, yeah, unless you have any other questions, re-sustainability. I, I think, think um, that, um, yeah. I think I've covered a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. I we didn't mind on. we diverted a little bit. Um, so we're moving on to our practices and habits section. Um, so awesome. what is a practice that you do to manage your own, you know, cooking and nutrition at home? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in my day-to-day life and even leading up to the festive season, I'm a huge believer and I encourage all of my clients to plan ahead, be organized where possible when it comes to all facets of life, you know, cooking, eating, um, gift giving, (laughs) you know, let's let's try and plan ahead and be as organized as possible because when we're rushed and when we're stressed and when we have to make a decision under pressure um that's when we often um overspend overeat blah 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 mm-hmm. so in the concept in the context sorry of food um i personally always designate 
one to two hours on a weekend day. If you work weekends, doesn't matter which day of the week it is, can be during the week, just designate a period of time. Maybe you can do it in less than that, but usually for me, it's like one to two hours to um, think ahead, plan my meals, um, come up with maybe some recipes that I'd like to cook for the week and prep that so that I at least have some portions for lunch or dinner, depending on my schedule, so that when I'm really busy and there's a lot going on during the week, I've got something there, it's ready, um, it's ready to go. I don't have the decision fatigue of I've had a huge day at work, what am I going to cook? Oh, I can't be bothered cooking. I'm just going to grab something on Uber Eats. You know, and then we get into this mm-hmm. to this quite vicious cycle. So uh, I wasn't always like that. I used to just kind of go to the supermarket on the weekends and aimlessly walk around being like, what am I going to eat? Let's just have a look and see what's on special and kind of did it that way. And, you know, there's an element of myself where I am quite creative. I do like to see if there's anything on offer, if there's anything discounted and maybe build a meal around that. But for the most part, um, I like to habit stack this with, you know, things that I enjoy on the weekend. So I read the book Atomic Habits, um, which talks about, yeah, trying to build a habit on top of an existing habit and preferably something that you enjoy. So it's almost like a reward. So for me, on a Sunday morning, I have a yoga class that I love to go to. So I get up, I go to the yoga class. I really love that. Uh, I go and get a coffee and then I come home. I'm feeling super zen um, and happy. And I'll, I'll sit out on my balcony with my laptop and have a think about, okay, what meals would I like to prepare this week? So I'm already, I'm, I'm making it kind of a fun and enjoyable activity rather than a chore of like, I've got to sit down and plan my meals now. And I, I try and do it in the morning as well. So the longer I leave it in the day, the less likely I am going to actually do it. So yeah, normally this might be around like 10 a.m. on on a Sunday, I'll sit down and just have a think. Um, I'm very repetitive with my meals, I think, people can sometimes feel this pressure to always have to come up with different ideas and make these really elaborate, you know, crazy meals. If if you love doing that, go for it. But for me, I've got a rotation of meals that I know that I love eating. I know that they're nutritionally balanced. I know they're going to give me the energy and vitality that I need throughout the week. So I really just cycle through, cycle through those. Um, in winter, I really love to utilize my slow cooker. Um, it's a really beautiful way to A, cook down your food, particularly your meat and your veggies. Um, as you cook your meat and your veggies down, it actually um, allows you to absorb more of the nutrients from from your meat and your veggies. And when you're eating a really beautiful, warm, nourishing meal like that, it's really great for digestion. Um, And the beauty of a slow cooker is that you often get like six plus meals out of a slow cooker. Um, So 
whether you have a family or whether you're like me and and I I live on my own, you know, that gives me so many meals out of one step of cooking. And particularly with a slow cooker, you know, you pop it on in the morning, you don't have to do anything. And then come come six, seven o'clock, it's ready to go. You portion up your meals. I'll freeze some and then I'll put um, you know, enough meals for lunches or dinners um for the week. And then, you know, I'll have one for dinner or or that sort of thing. So if I'm not slow cooking, because I don't really do that in summer, it's a bit too warm, I'll just cycle around the meals that I like. Normally they might um, be like a curry with rice um, with lots of beautiful green veggies. It might be um, a piece of salmon and, and salad. It might be more of like a Mexican-style thing with um, minced beans, um, anything really. I just look and I say, okay, have I got a couple of serves of veggies in this? Have I got a nice protein source? And have I got some good quality um, carbohydrates in there as well? Plan that out, cook that all for the for the week. That might get me through maybe Monday to Thursday. And at least I've got, you know, my lunches covered or my dinners covered or however you want to do it. Um, and then maybe towards the end of the week, I'll, I'll do another batch of cooking again. But I just, I encourage organization in whichever way you want to do it, in whichever way works for you. If you can at least plan and cook ahead, you're not aimlessly walking around the grocery store like I used to do. <laughs> um, and you're not, you know, tempted to order takeaway every night for dinner because you can't be bothered to cook. So that would be some, that would probably be my main thing. My main practice. Mm. And I do find myself, um, I will be like, I want to make this for dinner. And then I'll realize that all the, the grocery is closed. I have to go to the expensive supermarket. That's right. That's right. So if you if you do it during the day, you don't get caught out um, with, with things being closed. Particularly, I'm not sure if this is the case in Melbourne, but in Queensland, things close early. So... <laughs> You've got to get in there um, before before things close. And um, I have friends that rather than shopping at the supermarket, they would prefer to shop at a farmer's market, which are normally on a Saturday or a Sunday morning. So again, similar process. They wake up. It's something that they enjoy because they might exercise and they might go to the farmer's market. Again, grab a coffee, grab a little croissant, however you want to do it and do their shopping for the week um, in a way that's really enjoyable for them. And that way they know they've got the ingredients there. They're feeling inspired. They're feeling happy. They come home, prep it all up. um, And it's a really enjoyable experience. So however you can do it so that it's organized, it's somewhat enjoyable. um, And, you know, you feel like you're nourishing not only yourself, but you know, your family, if you've got kids and that sort of thing, um, you've got things ready for them as well. So you're not having to think about four people um, every night, what you're gonna cook. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your experience. That's all right, no worries. Great. Um, We'll just take a minute. I'll um, read the questions from the audience, see if we've um, covered everything. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, we're going to move on to the open mic section. That's where you get a chance to talk about something that you're passionate about. It can be related to our topic today, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, what did you want to talk about today? 
Well, uh, yes, my, as I mentioned at the start, my clinical practice is um, mainly centered around gut health and chronic illness. So if it's okay with you guys, I'd love to talk a little bit about the gut and how it connects to different systems in our body and um, how we can really help prevent um, and reverse a lot of um, chronic illness by um, focusing on our gut health. Is that something that sounds good? that sounds amazing. Okay, awesome. So yeah, just a little bit of backstory about me and what got me into nutrition and health in the first place. So when I was 17 years old, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition called rheumatoid arthritis, um, which was obviously a big shock at the time. I really didn't understand that. I just heard the word arthritis and thought, what? That's something that old people get. And it was a very confusing, um, very stressful time. I was very sick, um, you know, finishing my uh, last year of high school at the time and getting ready to go to university. Um, and went uh, to a GP, went to, um, eventually got referred to a rheumatologist um, and was put on really, really high dose uh, anti-inflammatory medications, which helped to, uh, you know, reduce a lot of the symptoms and somewhat got me back to like normal functioning. Um, Just so for people that don't know about rheumatoid arthritis, it essentially affects um, the cartilage of your joints. So I was experiencing like extreme pain and stiffness in many of the joints in my body. so bad that sometimes I couldn't get out of bed. It was really, really affecting um, my daily functioning. Um, So the medications really helped, but after probably a good like decade of being on them, uh, I just knew, I knew that there was more that I could be doing for myself. And that's when I really started to dive into the world of nutrition and, and, and health. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep taking the medications, but I want to do more. I really want to see if what I'm eating is affecting this or um, if I could start incorporating some gentle exercise and, and how that would help. And that essentially took me on this journey of uh, completely overhauling my diet, um, starting yoga as a practice, incorporating meditation, really regulating my nervous system, Um, and I ended up going to study nutrition, as I've mentioned earlier in the podcast. And the biggest thing that I learned there was all about our gut, um, and how our gut functions. And I started to learn about the link between the gut and the immune system. Um, so when we have an unhappy gut, when we've got a lot of dysbiosis happening, um, dysbiosis means there's like an imbalance in our gut bacteria. Um, we might have something that we call intestinal permeability, which is essentially where our gut lining starts to erode over time and it becomes really permeable and leaky. Um, and that causes a lot of inflammation, um, in the gut. So what I was experiencing was a lot of like food intolerances. Um, a lot of things were really setting me off and making my joints worse. Um, and 
learning about the link of healing the gut and how that affects the immune system was absolutely transformative for me. Um, and it's something that I work with my clients with now, whatever they're presenting with, whether it is um, an immune disorder, whether it is skin issues, whether it's poor mental health, um, you know, the list goes on, but I'm always looking at the gut first because our gut really is the foundation of our health. When there's dysbiosis happening, it's affecting our mental health. It's affecting the function of our immune system. It's affect affecting our skin. Our skin is um, a representation of what's going on on the inside. So I really consider things in that holistic perspective um, and have really been able to to help a lot of people really get to the root cause of what's going on for them. Um, and so much so that for myself, um, I'm now medication free for my um, rheumatoid and essentially symptom free. Um, and that is, that's solely through um, working on the gut, um, incorporating a more nutritious diet, exercising, regulating my nervous system, um, and really finding a sense of purpose as well in helping others. So I feel like that was a bit of a roundabout story, but I just wanted to give people a bit of a, an insight into me and um, why I am so passionate about this area. And um, if anyone does want to find out more or they're struggling with any of these sorts of conditions themselves, they can absolutely reach out and I'd love to see how I can help. Yeah, thank you. Them. And yeah. if people do want to find out more about you and your work, and if they want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Yeah, so my business is called Wise Wellbeing. Um, my website is www.wisewellbeingnutrition.com.au. You can find me on most social media. I'm on um, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok um, as um, wise underscore wellbeing. Uh, I think that's about it. I'm on LinkedIn as well, Casey Wise. Uh, yeah, feel free. An email is wisewellbeing at gmail.com. Um, so all pretty consistent across the board, but please feel free to reach out across any of those channels. Um, if you want to know anything else about me and my practice, um, learn a little bit more about the gut and, and how it um, influences so many different aspects of our health. Um, or, you know, if you're after some more sustainability tips for Christmas and the new year as well, I'd love to hear from you. Great. Thank you so much. And we'll make sure all of those links are in our show notes. So even though it is very easy to find you, uh, we'll make it even easier for everyone. Yeah, sounds good. Great. Thank you so much for talking with me. Um, I learned a lot about gut health. I've learned a lot about uh, what we can do with our leftovers and how we can be a bit more sustainable um, over Christmas and new year. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. You've been listening to On The House, produced by the Household Management Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes like this from across 10 life management perspectives can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smart devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it so we can grow and bring you more quality resources. 
More of our work can be found on our website at hm.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Gabriella Yastra. Thanks for tuning in.